Welcome to That's the Ticket, a travel podcast for people with itchy feet. My name is Renat and my name is Vanessa. This podcast is all about practical tips and meaningful conversations. We cover lots of topics, including but not limited to planning and social travel, getting the most out of your trips and communicating, travel tips and more. Thanks, Thanks for, for joining, joining us. us. Welcome back, listeners. Vanessa and I were joined for this episode by a guest who has extensive travel experience and is an international entrepreneur. Yes, our guest's name is Ray Blakeney, and I'll read you a little bit from the press kit that he sent us. Ray Blakeney is probably like every other award-winning Filipino-American entrepreneur who grew up in Turkey and lives in Mexico that you know. <laughs> he comes from a long line of world travelers. His American father grew up in Rhodesia, and his American grandfather grew up in China, and the bug has never left him. When he is not traveling, he bootstraps six- and seven-figure online businesses. Most of this was done from home in his Superman pajamas. <laughs> Over the last 12 years, he has built a location-independent lifestyle that has allowed him, his wife, and recently his baby son to travel around the world whenever they want without being tied down by work. Of course, with COVID, he's not doing as much travel right now, but hopefully he'll be able to get back to it soon. Yeah, and hopefully we will too. I know, I miss traveling. <laughs> Me too. Um, so in this interview, we covered lots of things, including volunteering abroad, entrepreneurship, and learning new languages. Yeah. We really enjoyed this conversation with Ray and hope you will too. All right, Ray, please tell us a little bit about yourself so our listeners can get to know you a little well, Vanessa Renat, thanks for having me on the show. Um, let's see. Let me give you a 30-second elevator pitch of who I am. Awesome. So I was born in Cebu City, Philippines. My dad is American. He was a Peace Corps volunteer in the Philippines. My mom is Filipina, naturalized U.S. citizen now. But at 11 months old, I moved to Istanbul, Turkey. I lived there for 15 years. My school ended in sophomore year. The, the American school only went up to the sophomore year in Istanbul. So I went to the U.S. for junior and senior year at a boarding school, studied college, mm -hmm. computer engineering in the U.S., did what everybody's supposed to do after college, right? Go and get a good job and stay at that company for 40 <laughs> years, except I only lasted five. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> and yeah. I quit and I joined the Peace Corps. So I quit my almost six-figure you know, computer engineering job, joined the Peace Corps yeah. for a few hundred dollar a month salary volunteering in southern Mexico. Mm -hmm. I met my wife there. She was also Peace Corps staff. And while I was in the Peace Corps, I was almost within like six months of age of my dad when he did it. So it's kind of like joke, running joke in the family. When my son turns 28, he joins the Peace Corps he can get married to. Um, <laughs> and that's how I ended up in Mexico. So I've been here for about 12 years now. But we have kind of a location-independent lifestyle due to our businesses online. So we use this as our home base. But under normal times, we travel about three months every year. Very nice. Yes, your location independence is something that we were very interested in. So <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. So right now your home base is in Mexico? That's right. Um, one of the things we like a lot about Mexico as a home base is 
One, it's really close to the United States. So I do do a lot of online business, but the time zones aren't that different. Um, mm-hmm. Except for right now when there's daylight savings time and, you know, everything gets thrown out of whack. But normally speaking, it's okay. you know, it I'm, in, I'm in central too. time. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm in central time. So if I ever have to do anything in the United States, it's not that complicated for meetings and Zoom and all the rest of it. Also, right. getting from here – I lived in California for a while. My family's in Boston. I can mm-hmm. probably fly from my city of Querétaro here in Mexico – to Boston as quickly as I could fly from California to Boston. Hmm. So like distance-wise, uh-huh. it's a great place to live. Yeah, but the final seems- tip is digital arbitrage, right? So if you could figure out a way to work from home, which a lot of Americans right now are doing, right? And yeah. you want a 400% raise in five hours, jump on a plane and fly to Mexico. <laughs> you suddenly have a 400% raise. Your, your money suddenly goes four times as far as it used to. Here we have right. a cook, we have a maid, we have a nanny, we have a night nurse, we have uh-huh. gardeners. In the U.S., that's That's Rockefeller, right? I mean, yeah, Uh we would never be able to afford that. Here, it's just middle class. So it's really cool living down here. That's awesome. That's really cool. That's cool. So do you travel at all these days? These days with COVID, unfortunately not. Under normal circumstances, and keep in mind, this was before my son was born. So my son's nine months old. I'm assuming that at least, you know, this year we probably wouldn't have been traveling that much anyway because with Mm -hmm. a nine-month-old getting on a plane – Right. Does not sound like my idea of a good time. Um, <laughs> but in normal circumstances, we like travel three months out of the year. Generally, it's two trips of six weeks at least. So the last big trip we did was my wife and I spent about seven weeks in Japan. We love Japan. Uh-huh. Um, we'd love That's to live there if we could. of mine to go there. Unless you get a job, you can't live there. They're, they're, they're mm. very welcoming to tourists, right? Anybody can go right. and have a 90-day tourist visa right off the bat. But if you want to stay there longer... Yeah, there's no real easy way around that. We've researched it. We called the Japanese embassy. Like, we just want to live there. We don't need a job. And they're like, no, no, you can't do that. (laughs) Interesting. You can't do that. So, yeah. So, we're just going to have to live vicariously through, you know, our our trips every once in a while to Japan. Fair, huh? Yeah, that's fair. So, uh, since you're home a lot, (laughs) you're going to laugh at this. Are your Superman pajamas getting a lot of use? (laughs) Absolutely. And people do not believe me. And we're recording on something without a video, but I have them on right now. Um, So, I definitely wear Superman pajamas. I used to wear business suits. I think Superman pajamas are a lot more comfortable. Totally Uh, I'll give a free plug for Pajamagram because they make some really comfortable pajamas there. So, that's my work uniform. That's hilarious. You had written that in your press kit that you sent us that you... Like People think hang, I'm joking when I say hang out in it, Superman and pajamas. I'm totally not. Yeah, yeah I'm totally serious. That's awesome. <laughs> so I hope you have more than one pair. <laughs> I, I do now because a lot of my older pairs have holes in them, and I still keep them. But my wife is very embarrassed whenever I put those on because oh. they're barely being held together right now. You know, I know I'm embarrassed when my husband's wearing his pajamas. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's a guy thing, right? I'm like, it's still good. Why would I throw it out? Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it's also a weird time. So there aren't really any rules right now, in my opinion. We're making the rules. I think exactly. you know, if you look at it from that way, we kind of – we have an opportunity to make what the rules are. We exactly. don't actually have to kind of – there's no – handbook to this from before and oh we gotta wear suits yeah, yeah you know <laughs> people already are wearing shorts below in the in the zoom meetings right you know that's, you wear right. Business clothes yeah. on top that's what i do i say stop faking it just go all in you know <laughs> really what are you wearing at home and let's do that so fair enough yeah. fair enough yeah you know there are the zoom backgrounds so they should also add like zoom shirts 
that oh, you can yeah. wear on Zoom. I or love something. online businesses. You, that's a great idea. <laughs> kind of what do you call like an Instagram filter, right? Where it just puts some different clothes on you. You accident, right. you know, I would accidentally, I would accidentally pick like a dress or something like that <laughs> when I did it. You know, like oh, yeah, you know. So uh, yeah. you could rock it. I, yeah. I think I, I'm pretty sure I could. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you and Ray need to talk more about that business idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm also a computer engineer, so we oh, have well, that there in you common. Go. Yeah. yeah, there you, you go. Have, you have the, it's, I think these days that's an unfair advantage. Um, if you're starting an on, uh, you know, an yeah. online business, because generally when you do startups, the right. biggest expense for any startup is the programmers, right? Because right. they need to yeah. pay people to do it. Of you course. don't. It's a blessing and right. a curse, though, because any business idea you come up with, you're like, yeah, I can do that. And yeah, then you build it. And <laughs> it, then you got to market it. And there's more to business than just building it. And right. that took me a long time to learn when I was starting off. I went through a two-year period where I like launched a business every three months. And none oh of them goodness. made any money because it was just the fun of building it. And then I didn't bother marketing it and building it and hiring staff. So uh-huh. that's how I learned the mistake. Uh-huh. Well, that actually yeah. is a really good segue into our next question. Um, because we noticed on your LinkedIn that you have founded or co-founded a bunch of businesses. <laughs> not to mention, you said in your press kit, you've been to about 50 countries. That's right. That's yeah. right. All while starting these businesses. I mean, when I went to about, I'd say about 20 of them when I was a kid, but 30 of them have happened since we started launching online business. Nice. So where do you think your love for travel and entrepreneurship come from? And how does this combination of lo- uh, this love of travel and entrepreneurship kind of work for you as a combination? Oh, that's a good question. Now, so the origin stories are different, right? So for the love of travel, it's because I don't remember ever not traveling, right? I nice. mean, the first time I got on a plane, I was 10 months old. By the time I was a year old, I'd been to three continents. Um, so, I mean, if you ask me, when the, do you remember the first time you got on a plane? I'm like, absolutely no. I mean, I can't remember the second, Same third, here. fourth, or fifth. Yeah, it's like, you know, a dozen times we've been on planes. It's just part yeah. of our life. Yeah. I feel weird when I'm not traveling. In fact, the biggest culture shock I have ever had is when I moved back to the U.S. when I was 15. Um, Interesting. Because I sound American, right? I mean, if you talk to me on the phone, you're like, yeah, this guy was born and raised in the U.S. Mm -hmm. But culturally, I'm not that American. Um, I had never been to a baseball game. Oh, it's so nice to hear somebody say that. I know, I know. (laughs) We're out there, but since we all fake being American, you can't find each other. Because we're all like, oh, (laughs) they're just American, right? Yeah, so I'm... (laughs) half German and I was raised in a German speaking household with an American father and a German mother. But my father is also like culturally, like he spent a lot of time in Germany. So he's got the German culture down and I, uh-huh. I get it. <laughs> yeah. My dad grew up in Africa just to make it more complicated, right? I yeah. mean, he's blonde, blue eyed, was born in Vermont, but when he was a year old, he moved to Rhodesia and spent the next 15 years there. Um, right. So, you know, yeah. he's not a very good model of an American, I think, culturally either. And so you know exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about, Vanessa, I right? Do, Where I do. You kind of come back and like everybody talks football and baseball and I'm like, I've never been to a football, baseball game in my <laughs> yeah. life. I grew up like you with soccer. So I'm yeah. like, I know soccer, but I mean, these other things, I don't know what you're talking about. So I felt this culture shock when I moved back to the United States. Yeah, I get that. Which is, I think, part of the reason why I joined the Peace Corps. It was kind of this pull for me to kind of move somewhere else. I have found that I feel more comfortable in a place where I'm not supposed to fit in than a place uh-huh. I am supposed to fit in. In the US, mm-hmm. I'm supposed to fit in. You sound American. Right. Why don't you get us? Right. And people look at you kind of weird. Yep. If I'm in Mexico and I don't get a Mexican joke, nobody cares. It's like, he's not Mexican. <laughs> Why would he get that? Um, so right. I found I feel more comfortable in places where I'm not supposed to fit in, which is partially why we travel. I'm, I feel very comfortable being uncomfortable in the situation and being an outsider. Um, and travel is – that's like a, you're a perpetual outsider in a way um, yeah. when you travel. But I've learned to enjoy that feeling. 
I it's I don't remember who said it. I maybe it was I believe it was Ernest Hemingway, but um, don't quote me on that. But they say you know nothing kills ignorance as much as travel, mm-hmm. and I think that kind of it that's what it does to us. It's one of those things where once you've traveled or lived in another country, we've opened that door. Yeah. And you can't close right. it again. So you yeah. can't go back to the way you were, to your little town or to your country yes. or whatever the equivalent yeah. is for you yes. and Completely. be the same as you were before. It's physically yeah. impossible. Yeah. I mean, I think that there are people who travel a lot who don't open their minds and that does happen. That's the stereotype of the American traveler a lot of the time. is uh, oh, They're the American. ones who stay at the all-inclusive resorts, take the yeah. guided tours on the bus and never actually interact with the locals, right? The yes, only local exactly. they interact right. with is somebody who speaks fluent English. That right. to me is not travel. That's like, might yeah. as well go to Epcot Center in Florida and say you've been to China, right? I mean, right. That, that's kind right. of that level of travel as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that that kind of travel is allowed in, in its own right. My right. husband and I did that for our honeymoon and we went to Mexico, actually. We went to Puerto Vallarta. <laughs> I've done all-inclusive in Puerto Vallarta as well. I mean, yeah. it's a great way to relax. It was, it was fun. Uh, but <laughs> I also was like, you know what? Next time we come here, because we will again, because his parents go there all the time, mm-hmm. uh, we're going to try to go off resort more. We're going to really try to brush up on our Spanish and get out there and talk to people and stuff. So mm-hmm. I, I A little hear, tip for you there. Go to Puerto Vallarta. If you can kind of find houses there. That's a little more authentic these days. The Puerto Vallarta has become pretty touristy, kind of it's especially true. in the downtown area. Yes. Go a little north up to Nueva Vallarta and you can actually get some, you know, authentic. If you kind of go off yeah. the main strip, you'll get some authentic taco stands and you yes. won't be paying foreigner prices for them and you'll really enjoy it. Yeah, we actually did uh, go a little bit off. I, I want to say off the grid, but that's not what I mean in the sense of, you know what I mean. A little <laughs> yeah. off the beaten Mexico's path. a and... lot more developed than people think. They're like, you, yeah. you know, you're, you're going off the grid in Mexico. I'm like, yeah, there are more Ferraris and you know BMWs in, in my city than I've seen almost anywhere in the United States. <laughs> yeah. I'm not off the grid, but we shop at Costco and I use Uber yeah. Eats for dinner. So, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I, I can totally appreciate the whole like getting off the resort thing. Like for mm-hmm. me, that is how I would rather travel for sure. Yeah, you Agreed. did that a little bit, right? You, you did yeah. go off. Yeah, resort, we didn't do it as so. much because we were like, hello, our family's paid for all-inclusive for our honeymoon. We're going to oh, And it's it. your honeymoon. It, it's, a, it's a different... <laughs> right. That's kind of a different kind of vacation than yeah. most typical uh-huh. vacations would yes. be, right? It's about being with your significant yeah. other and kind of getting to know each other in the new phase in your life. It's not necessarily about, you know... Doing the Incan Trail or something like that, totally. right? I mean, that, no. that's a totally different Next experience. time I'm like, we're going to go find the pyramids. We're going to go to all the, you know, go have all the authentic food. We're going to do all the things. Fly <laughs> into central Mexico where I live. Stay away from the beaches. That's where you're going to find the pyramids. That's where you're going to find the authentic food. If you fly into Mexico City, one of my favorite cities in the world, um, it's got a bad rap. But, I mean, there are some beautiful parts of the city. But one mm-hmm. of my, the most amazing experiences that my wife and I have ever done is we did a hot a sunrise hot air balloon ride over Teotihuacan, which is the the ancient ruin there in Mexico City. So the way it works is you oh. kind of go in the morning really early. Um, so you know take advantage of the two hour time difference and kind of do that the first day you're here and it won't feel totally. quite as early for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like four a.m. they get you up there and there's always in this valley. It's always covered in mist. So you're kind of driving around. And as you drive up to the place where the hot air balloons are, it's kind of cool. looks like dragons because they're heating up the hot air balloons, right? Mm -hmm. But there's mist around. So all you see is this like flame and the whole mist kind of lights up. And you kind of pull in there. They give you breakfast. You get on the hot air balloon, but the mist is still there. So as you start rising up, it feels like you're in the clouds. Suddenly you get above the clouds and you suddenly can see the sun because it hasn't burned the mist, but the sun's already up. And the only Uh thing you see is the largest pyramid at Teotihuacan. 
Nice. Po- pointing out of the clouds. So huh. it looks like this spike coming out of the clouds. And as you're in the hot air balloon, the mist starts flo- you know, burning away. And the other pyramids start appearing. And you're just kind of flying over there. There's nobody else. There's no noise. Amazing experience. That is a great tip. I want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually f- afraid of heights. Um, but a hot, uh, hot air balloon. I'm, I'm the guy who's like standing right in the middle of the basket. <laughs> like, you know, I don't want to get too clear the ed- too near the edges. Yeah. But I do really enjoy it. We've done it in a few places in the world, and I really enjoy hot air balloon. I've skydived before too. I screamed the whole time, but you know, <laughs> I, I did do it. So awesome. Cool. Well, um, we also wanted to touch a bit on like your entrepreneurship. You were saying that that's a different story, like where that's that right. kind of came so, into your life. Yeah, we got a little sidetracked with the travel because all of us are so, you know, so, so excited about travel. But the entrepreneurship side is when I was a kid, you know, in the yearbooks, I was the one everybody said would own a business, but I didn't think so. You know, I Mm. liked computers. I'm going to be a computer programmer. So that's kind of what I went to college to do. And I kind of left, you know, went and worked in Silicon Valley for a bit and some Fortune 500 companies. Uh As I mentioned, I got bored and I joined the Peace Corps. Absolutely nothing to do with computer programming. (laughs) That's where I met with my wife. My wife, and she's the one who actually wanted to get into entrepreneurship. She was a Spanish teacher. She always wanted to run a school. And at the time, we were in our late 20s, you know, no kids, no commitments. We're like, eh, let's give it a shot. You know, worst case scenario, we're lucky that, you know, our parents are still alive and they would take us in for a few months. She's a bilingual teacher. I'm a computer programmer. would get jobs. Uh-huh. And we would continue with our lives. So that was like the worst case scenario. That was right. 12 years ago now. It was a lot of work. And we, you know, we built a number of successful businesses. We sold one. Sold two um, businesses over the years, and mm-hmm. it has become my passion. I love it. Um, and one of my favorite sayings now that I say all the time is: In the beginning, everybody says when you're jumping into entrepreneurship, you should follow your passion. I mm-hmm. totally don't believe that. Follow your passion. Make your passion your business is the guaranteed way to kill your passion. Um, <laughs> but building yeah. your passion is what's worked for me. If you work hard at something, and by a number of measures become good at it. It's almost impossible that you will not be passionate about that, right? Just being good at something makes you enjoy it even more, right? Because you're seeing success. It's kind of got those endorphin rushes in there. Yeah. Right. And now online business is my passion. I mean, I go to bed thinking about it. I wake up in the morning thinking about what we're going to do. Uh-huh. Um, you know, not only grow the businesses, but the freedom it gives us to travel and the ability to control the impact we have on the world and make the world a better place which I did not feel I had when I was working in corporate America, right? If I did my job, we sold more product A or whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That did not yeah. fulfill me at all. And it really uh, – Entrepreneurship, uh, it does. It uh, fulfills the bottom line, which you don't see much of because it goes right to the top to the CEO. Yeah, unless you're the CEO, <laughs> yeah, which right. I was not. Um, yeah. You know, it's right. – it, you don't really see any – the company I worked at in all, you know, treated us well. I, I had no complaints about the company. Sure. I just thought – so there's a – there's a saying that guides my life, and it was a Navy commercial. Um, and I joke that, you know, I would never join the Navy because if you start shooting at me, I'm running away as fast as physically possible. <laughs> so, um, But the commercial really struck me. And they had a saying which was, um, if they were to write a book about your life, would anybody want to read it? Mm-hmm. And when I saw that commercial, it struck me. I'm like, if I continue on the path I am now, absolutely not. <laughs> I wouldn't read my own book, right? Um <laughs> So that and literally like the next day I applied to the Peace Corps and tried and changed my life because mm-hmm. I'm like, this is not the life I want to look back on and say I lived. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's really interesting. And and you you also said that your your dad was also living in Rhodesia and in the Philippines, mm-hmm. right? And your granddad also lived somewhere in China, right? Yeah, he grew up in China. 
So yes. I come from a long line of academics. Hmm. Um, I'm like the black sheep. I became an engineer. But my dad went to Harvard. My great grandfather was a professor at Harvard. Um, my dad and went that's to Harvard generally too. How... <laughs> yeah, exactly. I did not go. To, I did not. <laughs> Me neither. I, I was a straight B student, right? I mean, I, I got a good enough grade that my parents were like, you can do better, but not so much that they would really complain. That was kind of my methodology. I'm like, get that B plus, throw in an A, A minus in there every once in a while. And did put, your dad the the- ever say that thing of like, you know, you could go to Harvard because I went there because that's what my dad said to me. Oh, really? And no, I was like, they- oh, so you think I can go to Harvard because you went there, not because I'm like I academically strong enough legacy. to Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's still a legacy thing in there, right, in Harvard. So I think technically yeah. that would work. Um, I but, was like, yeah. that's okay, Dad. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Well, apparently we understand each other a lot because we have a lot of, kind of this yeah. kind of family history and background where, yeah. um, you know, that relate. And mm-hmm. yeah, so I, you know, I totally lost my train of thought there. What, what were we talking about before the Harvard? We went off on Harvard. <laughs> Well, I'm interested to know more about your family traveling background and mm-hmm. being in different countries That's and how it. how did it affect your way of living and traveling? Yeah. Perfect. So great for bringing it back. The reason I brought up the Harvard thing is that was why my great-grandfather was in China. He was a professor at Harvard and he was actually doing a year abroad or like an exchange in Peking at the time until the Maoist revolution came and they had to run out of the country. So my grandfather grew up there. We joke that the U.S. side of my family, and it's not really a joke, have been Americans for about 150 years. And we've like, you know, the last hundred, we've never grown up in the U.S. <laughs> um, so we have a passport, but all of us are kind of culturally not that American. Mm-hmm. We all end up we all end up retiring and kind of moving back there. My parents are in Boston. My grandfather mm-hmm. until he passed away lived in Western Mass. Um, wow! But quite the all of their childhood connection. Of, oh, we have that as well. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, I went to school in Newton for two years um, at some point. The whole concept of travel, or how about this? The concept of not traveling is foreign to me. Uh-huh. Right yeah. when I went, I lived in Cleveland, Ohio for a few years, and that was the first time I remember in my life meeting people who didn't have a passport and had never left the United <laughs> States in their in their lives. I had never met that anybody like that before. When you go to the international school growing up, I mean, I had classmates from forty different countries. They obviously, were, you know, they weren't from Turkey, so every single one of them had been on a plane at some point, mm-hmm. right? Because so that's how mm-hmm. they got to Turkey in the first place. I just thought that's how everybody in the world lived, right? Um, even in Istanbul, we were so close to like the Greek border in Europe. It's not; it wasn't very, you know. Most people would just go to Greece. It's you know, you could take a boat across, or you know, fly to Europe in an hour. You can go, you cross through or drive. You drive through like four countries in like four or five hours, right? Right. It's a much smaller area than the United States, so the concept of never having left, even with my Turkish friends, was kind of weird. And then you get to the United States and then traveling becomes the weird thing, right? Where, <laughs> wow, why do you travel so much? Yeah, I, I will say traveling is definitely a privilege that... Uh, it is. It yes. is. It, it, when I think about it, I, I grew up the same where I was like not traveling was foreign to me. And even Renat has told me in Israel, people travel like crazy, right? Mm. Like After yeah. military service, everybody takes a year and they just travel yeah. around the world. That's like a big, that's like a common thing to do, right? Yeah, yeah, people so it's, travel a lot. People in middle mm-hmm. class often go once or more a year yeah. to travel. And after the military, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Most, most young people go for at least a few months mm-hmm. to travel. Yeah. My business coach is actually Israeli. So, I mean, oh. I, I, he's, oh. and he was actually ex-military. He was, he was in the special forces in the Israeli military. So he's told me a lot about the experience that they have mm-hmm. afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah right. So, uh, so the three of us have that, you know, privilege. Mm-hmm. And for some people, like, especially in the U.S., I mean, not to, I don't want to get into a huge thing about it because 
other time, something for another episode, maybe. But I was about to say, what's going on in politics in the U.S. now? <laughs> Nothing, well, as far as I know, right? No, yeah. I was just thinking, like, if you have to worry so much about how you're going to pay your hospital and medical bills out of That's pocket, it. how are you supposed to get a passport and travel, right? Like, it's uh, the U.S. is supposedly the most advanced country in the world, supposedly the richest country in the world, yet the people who live there are don't. tied to their work because of the medical insurance. Yes. Exactly. Okay. And for one thing, there's other things too. So yeah, it's like, we're just, uh, for us, it's a little bit of a different reality than a lot of people experience in the world, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's just, it's, just something it's just to say, acknowledge. You don't become conscious of it until you become an adult is the right. thing, right? Because yeah. if everybody, all your friends are doing the same thing, you think everybody does until you meet mm-hmm. people who don't. Uh-huh. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's fascinating that you have such a, um, such a deep travel, uh, it's kind of like interwoven into your family. Yeah, that's it. And we hope to do that with our son. I mean, we're looking to move to Southeast Asia probably mm-hmm. in about a year or two because we want him to grow up at least trilingual, uh, native yes. trilingual, wow. not not just speaking, you know. I speak Spanish pretty well, but nobody confuses me as a native Spanish speaker, right? <laughs> I mean, I just make some basic mistakes too much. Um, uh-huh. But we'd like to move to – we're looking at Singapore and putting him into a, like a Mandarin school. So uh-huh. he, English that's taken care of. That's a good one of. to know. Yes, Spanish will be taken care of with his mom, and he'll be native, like, you know, Mandarin speaker as well. I think mathematically that means he can communicate with about 60% of the planet in their native tongue. Um, And, you know, with English, he can communicate in the second language with, like, another 20% on top of that. So that should be a pretty good advantage he has on life if we're able to pull that off. Excellent. We'll have to uh, check in later and see how that's going. (laughs) Check in in 20 years with him, right? See see if he speaks the three languages. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, you were talking a little bit ago about uh, being in the Peace Corps and doing volunteering. Mm-hmm. And something that I um, that struck me when I was looking at your press kit is just this question of volunteerism, um, mm-hmm. because you've had such extensive volunteer travel experience. I know that volunteerism, which is the for those who don't know, I mean, you can probably <laughs> hear it, but it's the word tourism and volunteer put together and that mm-hmm. it can kind of be seen as like a negative thing. To some people. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you, I've heard stories about volunteers going to a certain place and kind of like fixing a problem, but then mm-hmm. not giving proper training to the locals. And then they're there to fend for themselves and everything just collapses again. Or it perpetuates this idea that like, you know, let's say a impoverished uh, country in Africa, like needs the West to survive and mm-hmm. kind of like this idea that they have to replace what they're doing traditionally that probably has worked for millions of years let's be honest and adopt some sort of western way of life quote unquote and um and i i can see those critiques of it so i want to know since you have such uh extensive experience with this what is your advice for being a volunteer abroad that actually makes a positive difference and doesn't you know leave the locals uh to sort of pick up the pieces once you've left and that kind of thing Oh, great question. And I'll start with never go in saying, I'm from the U.S., I'm here to help. Um, <laughs> Fair. <laughs> that does not work. Uh, and because you're absolutely right. It's not that we're from the, you know, we are from the United States. We know better. So everybody mm-hmm. should be like us because that's going to make your country better. It doesn't right. work. There's, right. you know, there's cultural norms. There's all these different things in there. The key to volunteering is going in with an open mind, knowing that you're probably going to learn as much from the people you're, you're quote unquote helping, mm-hmm. uh, as they learn from you. Um, the benefits are going to be coming in two different directions. The first thing is you might be able to go in there and teach them, let's say, a practical skill. 
And that's really where I think volunteerism shines. It's not about mm-hmm. kind of going in there and giving them something. You said it really, really well. I had a chance to work, you know, with some USAI, USAID projects when I was in the Peace Corps. And uh, they do sorry, exactly that. Can you that. just explain what U.S. What, what oh, that is? U.S. Uh, U.S. Aid and International Development, I think, is what the organization is. Oh, okay. organiza- it's, it's a branch of the U.S. government that is in charge of distributing the U.S. aid around gotcha. the world. Gotcha. Even though it's not short for U.S. aid. AID actually stands for something. I just don't okay, remember what okay. it is. Um, and, and I, so, I feel you know, like I should say also, like, it's great that countries do go to other countries and help out. Like, I'm not saying absolutely, that, that should be Absolutely. Not done. And I mean, yeah. it's part of, in a way, it's part of diplomacy, right? Uh, yeah. We actually spend a lot less money on that than we do on the military, and it probably should be closer to 50-50. But um, yeah. it's something that they go in there. And for example, they go in with great intentions. So I have no problem with that. They, For example... One of the things that they did in southern Mexico is they tried to – they gave money to start a tilapia farm, right? So they kind of went in there. All the villagers dug up these wells, filled it with water. They brought in an expert. This mm-hmm. is how you raise tilapia, blah, blah, blah. And then the expert left. That was it. They did it. Mm. The, the, they raised tilapia. Within two years, all the fish were dead, and mm. these were just ditches that were there. But they had spent millions and millions of dollars on this. And that's what you were talking about, Vanessa, I think, yeah. you know, earlier on, where they just show up, they do something, they leave. In the Peace Corps, what they teach you to do, you know, and the success varies from volunteer to volunteer, is more about, you know, the first thing you do, the first six months when you're in the Peace Corps, you don't actually do anything. You're just supposed to observe and watch mm. and kind of figure out what it is that you know that you could kind of contribute to what they're already doing that may help them. Mm-hmm. Um, and the beauty of a lot of the Peace Corps, I was quote unquote older in the Peace Corps at 26, mm-hmm. but you know, a lot of people are straight out of college. So in a way that helps because you don't have the preconceived notion that you know everything. Mm-hmm. You know, you go there, if you're a 21 year old out of college and there's this farmer who's been farming <laughs> for 40 years, you're not going to go right. and tell them what to do, right? I mean, yeah, like, right. what do yeah. I know that, that you don't know, right? But you might be able to show them a different perspective mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. might not even be have anything to do with farming, right? You could teach them how to search stuff on the internet. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, that's to- not related to them, but now they have access to information. You've taught them how to gain access to information. Now mm-hmm. they know what information to look for and how best to use it. That's a good That's kind of when volunteering does, you know, the most good, in my opinion, mm-hmm. is when you teach people how to think in a different way, not necessarily do things in a different way. That's where volunteering mm-hmm. falls short. When you go mm-hmm. there and say, that's not the right way, my way is the right way, right. volunteering uh-huh. doesn't work. Right. But if yeah. you say, Here's, here are 10 other ways to do it, read about them or learn about them or, you know, mm-hmm. let me tell you about them, you might be able to pick up some of those things, mm-hmm. you know, and try to use those in your own life. That That's when it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a really, really great point. Yeah, I like your perspective on it. And you also talked about like having your uh, kid being trilingual and I think also learning new languages is very helpful. And you also uh, founded the website called Live Lingua, right? That's absolutely right. We did this right after the Peace Corps. Um, and we are luckily, we're one of the top online language schools in the world. And we're the only one that was started without you know, multimillionaires investing money. All of our competitors have millions of dollars in investment. LiveLingua started as me making a website and my wife being the teacher. I mean, that was literally, uh-huh. you know, I, I would love nice. to say we had this grand business plan when we launched and yeah, uh-huh. we were going to dominate the market. No, we just needed to make some extra money. So I put up a website <laughs> and she started teaching. Uh, cool. Well, I mean, that's how things start. Yeah. It is. I mean, you know, we're, we're more the Google, Amazon from our little garage story than we are Somebody took $100 million and built a business kind of thing, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, 
And we just grew over time organically, right? So my wife just got to the point, I can't handle this many students. And then we hired one teacher and then two teachers and three teachers. And now we have hundreds um, of teachers that are working for us all over the world. And we have a small team of eight who work full time, kind of on the administrative end of things to keep the, you know, the the wheels turning on the machine. So Lauer and I are not killing ourselves every day to mm. work 70 hours to keep things running. Totally. Yeah. Totally. I think there is, Renat had another part of that question. Well, basically just how can it help people prepare for trips abroad in terms of communication? Ah, that's a good one. And it actually ties into something we were talking about before. So oh, nice. there are generally two types of travelers. The all-inclusive travelers, maybe people who want to see the sites but don't really want to interact with the culture. Um or they just want to go someplace to relax. It's totally fine. Sure. Um, it's just a different way of traveling. But if you want to do the kind of traveling where you actually get to feel and interact with the culture, learning the language is kind of the key to that. Because language and culture mm -hmm. are so intertwined. I mean, you know, think UK mm -hmm. and the United States. We both speak English, but we're entirely different cultures. And sure. as a result, you know, even using the same words, they have different meanings there. So if somebody really wants to make the most out of travel, I highly recommend that they at least learn what we call survival level of whatever language they're doing. Survival mm -hmm. level is, you know, enough to ask for directions, negotiate prices, say good morning, say thank you. And all that kind of stuff. It will right. just that. It'll just take you a few hours. You put in like, you know, six to eight hours to learn whatever language you're doing. Um, and it will change your travel experience forever. Because when you go there and you try learning the language, a lot of people have the fear that, oh, they're going to make fun of me because I didn't pronounce a word wrong or something like that. I will tell you from personal experience that almost never I will say you go so far as to say never happens. Nobody yeah. will make fun of you for trying to speak a language when you're it's there. It's more that if, they're really excited that you're trying. That's it. That's yeah. it. They, that opens doors to you. The fact that for sure. you know, I was just recently when I was in Thailand to, to speak at a conference, all I could say was like good morning and good afternoon. And I was probably massacring it because it's a tonal language and I didn't hear the tones. But people <laughs> would smile when I'd go and get a coffee and they'd give it to me. Obviously, I was a foreigner. But then I'd say, you know, krap ka. I think that's it. I probably mm -hmm. killed it again. But they would like, <laughs> oh, my goodness, right. you know, how to say thank you. Uh, you know, and they would just be like, hey, you know, this is great. And if yeah. I went to the same coffee place the next day, they would smile at me. And, you know, if you learn the numbers and just learn a little bit more, you can transform your entire travel experience by doing stuff like that it's and allowing you to interact with people. Key to connection with others. Exactly. Yeah. You're showing them that I'm not just here to, you know, superficially see your things. I was interested enough in your country, your culture, and your history that I at least learned the basics so that I could be respectful to you. And people yeah. really, really appreciate that. Right. And even if you kind of say it not exactly the right way, it's also make it funny i think and, yeah and you laugh about it so yeah. you should laugh i was pregnant in mexico for three months and then somebody told me embarazado was not the spanish word for embarrassed um <laughs> yeah i didn't speak spanish when i got here but apparently embarazado is pregnant for anybody else who's coming down it's not embarrassed <laughs> okay good to know so that's your free live lingua exactly lesson. that was your free trial best. right there, there you know? you go. yeah um, that's awesome. So um, we actually would love for you to tell us where people can find you and find Live Lingua and all that good stuff. Sure. So I really need to get more active on social media because when people ask me that, then I'm like, yeah, really? I, you know, I don't really post on Twitter. Um, <laughs> so I'm on Facebook. That's kind of the best way to find me. I kind of date myself when I say that. Um, but yeah, go to Facebook, look up Ray Blakeney. Uh, you'll find somebody who's sword fighting. I practice Japanese sword fighting. So Very nice. you see oh, that, cool. you know... 
you know you're in the right place. Um, otherwise, you can go to LiveLingua.com, L-I-V-E-L-I-N-G-U-A.com, and just go to the staff page. And then there's actually my direct email that's there. And the third cool. one is I'm work, I'm launching a new business in January called Podcast Hawk, Hawk the Animal, H-A-W-K.com, which is an automated kind of podcast outreach system, which allows you to get on, you know, reach out to podcasts to see if you're a good guest. And I'm working on that now since it's a bootstrap. So you just go to the contact us page of that and contact us. I have no customer support. It's just me. So that email <laughs> will come directly to me if you go to podcasthawk.com. Awesome. That sounds That's like a cool, cool project. Yeah. And yeah. sorry, do you have a podcast as well or do you just go on a lot of podcasts? Oh, yeah. I would, I, I do. I've had okay. three. My first two bombed miserably with oh. like, you know, five downloads per episode on a good day. Uh-huh. This last one, actually, it's a it's an interesting experiment I was running, and it actually worked. So I started making a learning Spanish podcast for Live Lingua. So you can look up the Live Lingua Spanish podcasts on wherever cool. you get your podcasts. And the way I did it, since I tend to be busy, my wife and I rented out a cabin with no internet in a lake called Pazcuato here. We went out there. I wrote all the episodes in one week, and I recorded them the next week. I recorded 170 solo episodes, one to three minutes long, and that – we produced them for 500 bucks and we launched them. And so we have 170 episodes, one launching every single day. And we've done it for about 90 days now. And we just passed 50,000 downloads um, nice. in a little oh, under wow. 90 days. So this yes. one actually finally worked after me bombing too miserably. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's great. Uh, we will put links to all of those in the show notes. Awesome. That's great. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. That was a fun interview. Yeah, I really enjoyed Ray's energy and obvious passion for travel and volunteering and entrepreneurship. He seems like a busy guy who loves what he does. Yeah, I agree. We would love to hear your thoughts on the podcast. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Podchaser. We like to know who's on the other side of the microphone. You can follow us at That's the Ticket Pod on Facebook and Instagram and at Ticket Pod on Twitter. You can also email us directly at that's the ticket pod at gmail.com. And please don't forget to check out our website, that's the ticket pod.com. Thank you for joining us. <laughs>